welcome to episode number 13 of the Anno Domini podcast, a podcast dedicated to the supremacy of Christ over all things, including our days, weeks, and months. Join me as we explore how Christ is revealed through the cyclical life of the church calendar year. We'll discover how this calendar once structured culture and how it can again. We'll also discuss practical ways to observe and celebrate these holy days in our quest to glorify God and live the good life in the midst of all the good He has given us. Happy Ascension Day to you! It's been over six weeks since the last episode of Anno Domini, and in that time, we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. In fact, during family worship, I'll often begin with the words, Christ is risen, Alleluia! To which my wife and children will reply, He is risen indeed, Alleluia! While Lent, the 40 days preceding Easter, while Lent is usually marked with repentance and a sort of bittersweet dread knowing that the cross awaits, the 40 days following that glorious Easter morning are filled with joy unspeakable countless alleluias, and hope that does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts as a result of the resurrection of Christ. However, his resurrection was a part of his overall mission to save the world. The next step following resurrection is ascension and glory. through the list of commonly celebrated church calendar days, Ascension Day and the following Ascension Sunday are two days that are often altogether ignored by Christians. It's very rare for a church to have an Ascension Day service, and most churches won't even give it any mention on the preceding Sunday. So Ascension Day happens on a Thursday, it's always on a Thursday, and then Ascension Sunday is the Sunday following it. The significance is often not understood as celebrating this day has really fallen out of practice. And because of this, really one of the most important days of the Christian calendar is missed and often without a second thought. I hope to change that perspective in, in some small way today. If, if anything, I'll change it in my own mind because Ascension Day to me, before embarking on this journey to live out the church calendar, hasn't meant a lot. And so let me begin with this. Just as Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness alone, fasting and being tempted by the devil, so think before the cross, he spent 40 days in the wilderness alone, fasting and being tempted by the devil, so now, having been raised to life and having been given a glorified body, he will spend his last 40 days on earth fellowshipping with his people. He's not alone anymore. He won't be fasting, he'll be eating and drinking. In fact, Scripture will be explicit in showing us that he eats and drinks with his, when he's with his disciples. And he won't be fighting the devil any longer, because he'll be enjoying his victory over death. 
At the conclusion of these 40 days, we are told in the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles that Jesus was taken up and received into a cloud of glory, and that the disciples were unable to see him anymore. And he was received into that glory cloud, and as that happened, two cherubim that were flanking the entrance into this glory cloud came and promised the disciples that he would one day come again in this same way. For Jesus, what happened to Jesus, so for the disciples, they were left on earth, for Jesus, after he ascended into glory, we are told throughout the New Testament that he was seated at the right hand of God the Father to reign over everything until he has put the last enemy under his feet, which is death itself. So now for most Christians, myself included, this is a fairly familiar story, although it's hardly ever celebrated. While the coming of Christ into the world gets a lot of attention, I mean, for example, here at Anno Domini, we did eight episodes during Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. Eight of them. That's all surrounding the coming birth and Epiphany of the Lord. We did eight episodes surrounding that, and yet here we are only doing one episode for Christ's victorious ascension and his enthronement over all creation. So why do we ignore what could be argued is the most important part of Christ's life, his coronation as king? You see, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, they play out for us the epic struggle of good triumphing over evil for all time. But it's really in Christ's ascension that the king is crowned. Now, I'm sure there are many reasons why this holiday doesn't really get celebrated or is largely ignored, probably the primary one being that our culture no longer emphasizes it. Um, But it also could be something else. I want to speculate a little bit with you here. It also could be that the conclusion of a journey or a story, no matter how victorious, can somehow leave us with a feeling of emptiness. As if you want the story to keep going, uh, and the story has ended before you're ready. Christ's advent is full of potential and anticipation. Therefore, the, the thinking might go. His ascension signals the end of the greatest story ever told. And, and how do you get excited to celebrate that, the end of a story? On a personal note, I'll probably always enjoy the beginning of the epic Lord of the Rings trilogy to the end of the series for the rest of my life. And that's not to say that the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy isn't wonderful. But at the beginning, I'm eagerly anticipating everything that is to come. Whereas at the end, I realize that the journey is over and that there is a sense that I'm now left behind and the story has kind of gone on without me. Now, I don't imagine people consciously think these thoughts when they read or think about the ascension and the reign of Christ, but... Could it be that we've disconnected the ascension of Christ into the heavenly realms and our own covenantal ascension with Christ that we've been promised in Scripture? Could it be that we've disconnected those and we don't realize how related the ascension of Christ is to us? Certainly the story has none of the bittersweet ending if we have risen with Christ in a covenantal sense— To put it another way, if we are raised with Christ, 
it changes everything. Let me share a couple of texts that I think support this idea. The first one's from Ephesians 2. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And get this, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Pretty cool. All right, now check out Revelation chapter 1, verses uh, 5 and 6. It says, Grace to you in peace from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. It says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Did you catch that? We have been raised up with Jesus in his ascension. And just as Christ is high priest and king of kings, so we, who are called to be like Christ, have been made kings and priests to God the Father with him. In other words, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he wasn't just leaving us behind. He was taking us with him, at least in a covenantal sense. Now, what do I mean by, what do I mean when I say in a covenantal sense? Well, Christians believe, and this is, all Christians believe this, so this is not controversial. Christians believe that we are covenantally sinful as a result of the sin of Adam in the garden. When Adam disobeyed God, all of humanity was cast into sin. We are born into sin, and before we even have a chance to actually do something wrong, we are already guilty. This covenantal responsibility was passed from our first father, Adam, to us. That's what I mean when I talk about a covenantal sense. However, the covenantal responsibility can cut both ways. Just as we were covenantally guilty through the sin of the first Adam, we have been made covenantally innocent by the work of the second Adam. There are many ways in which this truth works itself out in the Christian life, but as far as Ascension Day is concerned, it means that just as Christ was raised up in glory to his status of high priest and king, so we are raised up with him. Peter Lightheart observes this. He says, quote, The ascension connects the work of Jesus to the destiny of the human race. The ascension is the climax which comes with Jesus, the last Adam, as the priest king, fulfilling the mandate that Adam was given to rule the earth and to raise us up to thrones with him so that we can rule the earth along with him. Now, if this is true, and I believe it is, there must be some practical ways in which this changes us. We don't want to face the realities brought about by Christ and walk away from them unchanged. I thought of two, two ways that this could change us in, in radical ways, and, and I'm sure there are far more that I didn't think of, but here's two to take away. The first thing to remember is that glory is always preceded with death. So before glory can come, death must come first. So let me explain what I mean. Christ was raised to glory on his day of ascension. 
We know that. That is true, but to get to this point in the journey, he had to first take up his cross and set the example for us to follow. He tells us to take up our cross and follow him, but he was leading the way. He wasn't following anyone the way we were. The way we are told is to follow him, to follow his example. Think about this. When he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, Satan was trying to get him to glorify himself before his death. He told him to go up to the top of the temple and cast himself off, and and God would, would catch him and basically miraculously show that he was, the, he was the king and that people would crown him king. But Satan wanted him to be glorified before his death, and Jesus, rejecting that temptation, knew that the glory, the kingdom, and the reign would ultimately come, but that first he would have to give up everything to gain it. Therefore, we can remember that to reign with Christ means to first die. This certainly is true for Christians in the literal sense. When we die, we go to reign with the Lord, literally. But it's more immediately true in the metaphorical sense. Each day, we must die to those desires that are antithetical to the kingdom of heaven. We must die to desires that no king or queen have any business in pursuing. As Paul tells us in Colossians 3.1, he says, quote, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Close quote. To do this, we must cultivate, this is the practical thing, cultivate a hatred of worldliness and a love of godliness. One of my pet peeves, and I talk to my kids about this all the time, but one of my pet peeves about the world we live in now is that we take the term love and we take the term hate and we connect positive to love and negative to hate. But we know that that's not true. We know what you hate and what you love is what matters. Hate and love are only relevant as they are connected or directed toward things. So therefore, Christians cultivate a hatred of worldliness. We should hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So, practical thing, cultivate a hatred of worldliness and cultivate a love of godliness. As kings and priests of God, we must stop our love affair with the hollow and empty promises of the world. Okay, so that's number one. Number So, number one is to remember that glory is always preceded with death. Death has to come before glory, and that we should cultivate a hatred of worldliness, a hatred of the things of the world, and cultivate a love of godliness. And second, we must actually believe that this matters. It matters that the ascension happened. It matters that Christ was seated at the right hand of God the Father. Christ is reigning right now. Not someday. Not after the tribulation. Not later. Not tomorrow. Now. The ascension of Christ and the many New Testament verses that speak of him being seated and reigning at the right hand of God are not future things that will come. They are realities that are present now. This is especially helpful as Christians find themselves living in a world gone mad. Psalm 2 says this, it says, quote, The heathen nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing. 
Listen to this. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now listen to what the anointed one does when feeble man plots against him. Okay, This is what, this is what the anointed one does. This is what Jesus does when the rulers of the world conspire together. He laughs at them. Listen, it says, He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. I, I would encourage you to read the entirety of Psalm 2. It's, it's really, really encouraging as we live in a, in a time when worldly leaders are puffing themselves up with all sorts of vain power. But suffice it to say that in a world gone mad, a world where leaders try and take counsel together instead of submit to the rule of Christ, they will only find themselves mocked, terrified, and broken like a potter's vessel. Christ is king right now. We are lifted up with him and have been commissioned to bring the conquering good news to all the world. And we've been promised that even the gates of hell will fall before us. Now let's go live like that was actually true. I have an Ascension hymn for you today that is of epic proportions. And I mean that literally as it actually has 10 verses. And for hymns, that's about as long as they get. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty that are longer, but a 10-hymned, excuse me, a 10-verse hymn, that's what you call a very, very long hymn. Uh, this particular hymn is called See the Conqueror Mounts in Triumph. It was written in 1862 by Christopher Wordsworth. And I believe that after you have listened to this, and, and hopefully you have even learned to sing the song, you will be encouraged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That would be to walk as kings and queens and priests to God. Because this is such a long hymn, I'm going to read each stanza and comment very briefly on each verse. So let's start with verse 1. See the conqueror mounts in triumph, see the king in royal state. Riding on the clouds his chariot to his heavenly palace gate. Hark, the choirs of angel voices, joyful alleluias sing, and the portals high are lifted to receive their heavenly king. My comments. Now, Christ is the heavenly king being received into glory as his reward for faithfulness. So he's being received into glory because he's been faithful. He rides on chariots because he is a warrior king returning victorious from battle. Okay, verse 2. Who is this that comes in glory with the trump of jubilee? Lord of battles, God of armies, he has gained the victory. He who on the cross did suffer, he who from the grave arose, he has vanquished sin and Satan, he by death has spoiled his foes. So Christ's victory came about by suffering and laying down his life as a ransom for many. He gained the victory through suffering, and in doing so, cast down sin and bound the strong man, Satan. He has thus destroyed all of his foes. Again, go and read Psalm 2, and let's live like this actually was true. Verse 3, while he lifts his hands in blessing, he is parted from his friends. While their eager eyes behold him, he upon the clouds ascends. He who walked with God and pleased him, preaching truth and doom to come, he our Enoch is translated to his everlasting home. 
Because we live in a society that is currently dominated by doom and gloom, we often forget that when Christ preached the doom to come, he was preaching about something that was coming within just a few short years. The doom to come was the tribulation that he describes in in Matthew 24 and elsewhere. The truth was that there was doom approaching for the Jews, and Christ, a Jew himself, was preaching truth to warn those who had ears to hear. Also, this hymn is going to give us a lot of typology. Typology is the kind of miraculous way in which the stories and characters throughout the Old Testament um, show up as types of Christ, uh, a type of Christ acting out their small part in the stories that they were given and foreshadowing the, the one who was to come, the Savior of the world who would be. So in this case, Enoch was with God and was no more because God took him directly up into heaven, a type of Christ. Okay, verse 4. Now our heavenly Aaron enters with his blood within the veil. Joshua now is come to Canaan and the kings before him quail. Now he plants the tribes of Israel in their promised resting place. Now our great Elijah offers double portions of his grace. We have three types of Christ, Aaron, high priest, Joshua, conquering king, Elijah, prophet, prophet, priest, and king. Verse 5, thou hast raised our human nature on the clouds to God's right hand. There we sit in heavenly places, there with thee in glory stand. Jesus reigns, adored by angels. Man with God is on the throne. Mighty Lord, in your ascension, we by faith. Behold our own. Here we see a development of the covenantal nature of Christ's ascension. We sit with him, we stand with him, we see Christ's ascension, and as such, behold or see our own ascension. Verse 6 Holy Ghost, illuminator, shed thy beams upon our eyes. Help us to look up with Stephen and to see beyond the skies. Where the Son of Man in glory standing is at God's right hand beckoning on his martyr army, succoring his faithful band. Just a few days after the ascension, Pentecost descended, and with the coming of the Holy Ghost came courage to face the wickedness and danger of man, just as Stephen did, and he was able to see beyond the skies. And Christ is in glory, and he is beckoning on, encouraging us on, and giving succor or giving aid to his faithful band of witnesses. Verse 7, See him who is gone before us, heavenly mansions to prepare. See him who is ever pleading for us with prevailing prayer. See him who with sound of trumpet and with his angelic train, summoning the world to judgment on the clouds will come again. Christ has gone before us and will return again. When he comes, he shall judge the quick and the dead. Verse 8. Raise us up from earth to heaven. Give us wings of faith and love, gales of holy aspirations, wafting us to realms above. That with hearts and minds uplifted, we with Christ our Lord may dwell where he sits enthroned in glory in his heavenly citadel. So here we have more theology of the ascension of believers unto heaven. We are asking for faith and love in the here and now to accomplish the work Christ has given us. 
All right, verse 9. Hang in there with me. Just two more verses. So at last, when he appeareth, we from out our graves may spring, with our youth renewed like eagles, flocking round our heavenly King, caught up in the clouds of heaven, and may meet him in the air, rise to realms where he is reigning, and will reign forever there. The blessed hope of every believer lies in the ground of every man garden or cemetery that you drive by. That blessed hope is in the fact that when Christ returns, all flesh will rise unto judgment. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. What was planted um, perishable will be raised imperishable. So Christ will return, all flesh will rise unto judgment. For those found in Christ, we will be given new bodies, renewed like eagles, We will then go and meet our returning Lord in the air as we welcome him to the new heavens and the new earth that he has created. Verse 10, glory be to God the Father, glory be to God the Son, dying, risen, ascending for us, who the heavenly realms hath won. Glory to the Holy Spirit, to one God in persons three, glory both in earth and heaven, glory, endless glory be. An epic hymn like this should certainly end with a Trinitarian doxology, and Wordsworth, the man who wrote this hymn, he does not disappoint. Glory, endless glory be for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. With that, I will play a new version of this hymn. Now, when I recorded this, I didn't leave out any verses, so this song is going to take over nine minutes to get through. So if get comfy, but but if you can add this hymn to your collection, uh, your repertoire of, of hymns that you know and love and remember, you'll find yourself being reminded constantly of the deep significance of the ascension of our Lord. So with that, enjoy the song, enjoy the new tune. It's got a, it's got a new melody to it. I haven't touched the words at all, uh, but I hope you enjoy it. And may you have a blessed ascension day and a blessed Ascension Sunday, and we'll see you in a few days when Pentecost arrives. See you then. See the conquer mounts and triumph See the king in royal state Riding on the clouds his chariot To his heavenly palace gate Hark the choirs of angel voices Joyful hallelujah sing And the portals are lifted To receive the heavenly king He who from the grave arose, he who 
spoiled his foe. While he lifts his hands in blessing, he's parted from his friends. While there is Clouds ascends. He who walked with God pleased him, preaching truth and doom to come. He is translated to his everlasting home. Now our heavenly angel enters with his blood within the veil. Joshua now has come to Canaan, and the kings before him quail. Now he plants the tribes of Israel in their promised resting place. Now our great Elijah offers double. Of his grave, oh, 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 There with thee in glory stand. Jesus reigns adored by angels. Man with God is on the throne. Mighty Lord in glory ascension. We by faith behold our Shed thy beams upon our eyes. Help us to look up with Stephen and to see beyond the skies where the Son of Man in glory standing is at God's right hand, beckoning on his martyr army, succoring his faithful band. with prevailing prayer. See him who is 
judgment on the clouds will come again lifts us up from earth to heaven gives us wings of faithful Wafting us to realms above That with heart and minds uplifted We with Christ our Lord may dwell Where He sits enthroned in glory In His heavenly citadel So at last when He appeareth, we from out our graves may spring. With our youth renewed like eagles, flocking round our heavenly King. Caught up in the clouds of heaven, and may meet Him in the air. Rise to realms where He Glory be to God the Father, glory be to God the Son, dying risen, sending for us, who the heavenly realm has won. Glory to the Holy Spirit, to one God in person three, glory for